Third time lucky. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Pod is sponsored by the Argentina Independent, a fine source of English language news, current affairs and cultural stuff um, from Argentina and across Latin America. You can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com. Welcome ladies and gentlemen, that's the third time I tried to start recording today and the final time, hopefully, that the batteries are going to be alright now because we've replaced them. I'm Sam Kelly and you're listening to episode 201 of the internet's very best Argentine football podcast, um, Hand of Pod. Sorry. We're the best now, or just they really the best are. in English? The best. There, there, there really are no alternatives. So, well, there aren't any in Spanish, so unless someone's <laughs> got one in yeah. German, or unless Remy's set one up in Dutch and hasn't told us, um, I'm going to just claim <laughs> the title of best, to be honest. Sounds good to me. I'm joined this week by uh, a voice you've already heard, Dan Edwards. Hello, Sam. Welcome. Better known as English Dan. Um, also by Andres. Hello, I'm going to, sorry, going to put my honey in my mouth as players do, so that you don't listen what I'm doing, what I'm talking. Sorry. <laughs> and my new boy, Boca Juniors fan, which is controversial on this podcast, but still, uh, Francisco Aldasha. Aldasha? Aldaya? Aldasha. 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 Well, Aldaya. Funny fine. with those wise sometimes. But uh, welcome, Fran. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, hope it's one of, of many. And uh, a bit uncomfortable being outnumbered by, by a couple of chickens here. The chickens are on the pitch as well. Um, we should mention that just before we started recording, River Plate kicked off their Copa Sudamericana last 16, um, second leg away to Liga de Quito, and have already been the victims of two rather crunching tackles. Uh, the second of which just flew in as I was saying that. Um, it's nil nil at the moment, but of course River won the first leg 2 nil last week. Uh, we've got a couple more Sudamericana matches later on tonight. If you listened to last week's episode all the way through, then first of all, well done. You deserve a clap on the back because it was nearly two hours long. But secondly, obviously, you will know that after the uh, uh, full-time music, I read out the full-time scores for last week's cup matches. Let let us, however, um, catch ourselves up to date with the other results since we last recorded. Last Friday, Thursday, sorry, evening in the Copa Sudamericana first leg, Lanús played whoever it was that Lanús were playing Defensor Defensor Sporting thank you that was a nil-nil draw wasn't it in Lanús so the second leg of that is on Thursday night in Montevideo Um, as somebody in a river shirt goes over one of the advertising hoardings they're really in the wars already tonight (laughs) five minutes already had three injuries Um, in the league at the weekend the following results happened Olimpo de Bahia Blanca 1 Godoy Cruz nil. Atletico de Rafaela 2, Unión de Santa Fe 3, that was a very silly match which we'll talk about in a bit, Nuevo Chicago 3, Aldo Civi 1, Tigre 1, San Lorenzo 1, Colón 0, Belgrano de Córdoba 1, Racing 1, Argentinos Juniors 0, Crucero del Norte 1, sorry 0, uh, River Plate Reserves 1, 
Rosario Central 4, Gimnasia La Plata 0, Huracan 0, Vélez Sarsfield 0, Defensa Justicia 0, Quilmes 1, Boca Juniors 3, Banfield 0, San Martín de San Juan 0, Sarmiento de Junín 1, Lanús 1, Independiente 1, that was also a sort of not quite as reserve as the River Reserve side, it'd be Cruzero del Norte, but there were about four or five changes in each of those teams. Uh, Tempele 1, Arsenal de Sarandí 2, and Estudiantes de la Plata 0, Newell's Old Boys 2. Yes, you heard that right. Newell's actually beat a decent team for a with, change. With away fans at, yes. the, at the stadium. And the same was true for Lanús Independiente. Mm-hmm. Um, so away fans were well truly back in certain matches now in Argentina. Um, another in result. Province, we should say, because yes, oh yeah, that's right. They've all been in Buenos Aires province. Yeah, yeah. it's the only province that's um, after all the talk about like one per province. Yeah, that didn't happen. It's, yeah. um, we can talk about that in uh, in a while while that is. But another result that has happened just a few hours ago um, on Wednesday afternoon, without any fans either home or away in the stadium at all. Uh, well, no home fans because it wasn't really played at home. Uh, was Godoy Cruz versus? Racing, which you will remember. It's a very small motorbike with a very loud engine going past our side, which you will remember was called off 25 minutes in a few weeks ago. In fact, a month ago, uh, the 31st of August, um, due to Godoy Cruz Barra Brava throwing stones and things onto the pitch. Um, that was called off with Racing winning 1-0 and Racing won it 2-1 today. With goals from Mariano Pavone, no, Mariano Pavone got lessons yet. Yeah. And uh, forgot my Cruz. Oh Christ! I can't even remember. There we go. That's how memorable it was. Pavone scored the goal. The the important goal. We may as well talk about Racing first of all because we tend to uh, just go through the big five to start things off, and they have well, they've managed two wins since we last spoke. So yeah, picked up. Congratulations now. Picked up six points with two convincing parts and unconvincing in others. Uh, is, it ever, is it ever any different in Argentine football? <laughs> no, not so much. But um, Eating an 89th minute winner to beat Argentino Juniors at home is not fantastic. Yeah, but that score's a little misleading. Racing were on top for most of, them ga- most of the game and could have had quite a few more. Should have had quite a few more. Uh, and Gustavo Ball was his normal electric, electric self, as they call him, the, the Panther from Concordia. He was he was well out, you know. Did Yeah, you never heard him. The band, never heard yeah. the football paradox commentary. He was a pantera de concordia, merodea la pantera de concordia, and as soon as I say that, you know he's not going to do anything because obviously it's a jinx. But uh, yeah, a lot of chances missed for Racing. We thought the goal was never going to arrive, and even Argentinos at the end were sniffing at um, a couple of decent chances, but. Uh, Romero stepped up and hit a lovely shot. I don't know if you saw it. Like uh, left footer from outside the box, just drilled in, and and Nicolás Navarro is uh, Argentine, Argentina keeper. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, no chance. So that got the first three points of the week, and the second three points was Navarro is into gimnasia. Sorry, no, fat. Sorry to interrupt, Andres. The Argentine Navarro is the goalkeeper. I spent the whole game insulting him because he came from Independiente and he just seemed absolutely, absolutely set on denying Racing a win. Um, But we got it in the end. Well, Argentinos have actually been quite unlucky in their last two matches, if Mm. we consider it. Boca, well, obviously with Ham's excruciating yeah, injury, yeah. 
and I think they had a couple of players suspended as well for for the Racing game. Mm, so they had a couple yeah. of decisions by the ref go against them. They played quite well. They've been very well, doing very well in terms of form mm. lately. But these last two matches have they've been unlucky. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you say very well in terms of form. They'd won compared compared to three. They, they had two wins and a draw. The two wins were against Crucero and not a way but Chicago. <laughs> so on the one hand, beating those two isn't any great shakes. But on the other, they've then had two consecutive matches against Boca and Racing, yeah. which is also, you know, if, if two matches in three games against Crucero and Chicago is, is lucky, <laughs> following it up with two and two against Racing and Boca is, is unlucky in terms of the this. <laughs> so I think Akindinos' like, real level is probably somewhere in between. Mm. Two consecutive losses and three games unbeaten. <laughs> yeah. Maybe saying unlucky is a bit a bit much, but they've been they've been doing really well. It seemed like Gorosito was on his way out, mm. and uh, and they've they've picked up quite well recently. Yeah, yeah they turned it around a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so if we go back to Racing for a second today, a uh, short game of what, half an hour and per half more or less 33 minutes 33 and 32 minutes, minutes and 32 minutes. Halves for some reason yeah. don't know why they do that but. and we had a with a 15 minute break in between yes still. and three subs each side of course yeah it was an odd game you know you, uh, those short matches after um, after a suspension up at this moment they're always a little bit unpredictable because the losing team can just go out and really with not that much to lose uh, we had it I remember last year with Boca with Racing Boca when Racing were 1-0 down in a Bombonera swimming pool and then came back to, to win with a couple of guys from Bolt. This time they had a similarly good start with Pavoni scoring very early after Gore Cruz just went to sleep coming out of the area mm. and after that it was a little bit, you know, they dropped the level a bit, I don't know, well it's what happens in Racing always, they go a couple of goals up and just decide to stop playing. And Gordon okay. Cruz came back and they could have they could have equalised it. Saka came up at the end with a fantastic yeah. stop. Really, really good. I wasn't paying um, as much attention as, uh, as I probably should have been doing from a professional point of view because the, most of the match coincided with uh, Man United's European Cup game. Mm-hmm. But um, I caught a few Racing pl- uh, players, <laughs> a few Racing fans on Twitter complaining about the makeup of the midfield. They were rather unimpressed with the decision to play what some of them were saying was amounted to three defensive midfielders. Yeah, in the end, um, you finished with what? You had Villera and Awed starting, uh, with Acuna um, out on the left and then Romero as the, as the playmaker. And then Serra came in as well, so it was, yeah, playing with three number fives and it wasn't particularly edifying stuff. Robert. But... Romero said that today that he's starting to feel more important in the team. Yeah, you can what see that. Romero's he's pretty much the only one in Racing who's got decent ball control like, and can actually pass a ball more than not more than about five yards. How old is he? Twenty two, I think. Twenty two. Well, he's not that, that young as as young as I thought. No, he's not a teenager, but he's still still kind of um, branching out because before he was in Cerro Porteño, like you know, going out to the Argentine leagues. Uh, a bit of a jump but if he stays in Racing it's, it's only going to be positive he's looking, looking more good. and more confident yeah so yeah six points neither game was a, was a classic but we're happy enough you know uh, solidified the, the race for Libertadores and 
yeah, there were six very important points in the end mm. after losing uh, the two Clásicos. And to shift the focus for a second to Godoy Cruz, they've had a dreadful week since we recorded because they lost 1-0 at the weekend to Olimpo following which Gabriel Hainse <coughs> sacked as manager. So Daniel, Did he ever sit on the bench? Yes, he did. Ah, uh, once, he took his, his first match in charge was the twice. 2-1 win over San Martín. Um, so he was sitting on the bench for three matches. Without having actually gotten his, his uh, yeah, degree. They, yeah. they gave him the dispensation that Godoy Cruz were after, I think, in the end. <laughs> and if he, he will only uh, won't have to worry about that anymore because uh, he can get no else is <laughs> he'll get the papers as, uh, as long as he gets another, another job. His final managerial stats from Godoy Cruz were, mm. uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... Nine, ten matches in charge, two wins, two draws, and six defeats. Uh, the wins were against Crucero del Norte, so that doesn't really count. Not great. And uh, and away to San Martín, which which is a slightly better result, it must yes. be said. Um, the defeats included um, uh, some slightly unfortunate ones. Really, I mean, he had to play Boca, Tigre, Rosario Central in that run, but he did also manage to uh, lose to Gimnasia, who were in quite bad form at the time. Um, and then, of course, to Olimpo, albeit away from home. So, jury's still out on Hainz, I'm going to say for now. Daniel Oldrat was the uh, caretaker manager at the start of the season um, until Hainz was, was made boss, and he's now going to be the caretaker manager, presumably through until the end of the season, uh, because Godoy Cruz are not a club who find it particularly easy to attract managers. No, partly unless partly they... because their directors always seem to just go to war with whichever manager they appoint. It's a very <laughs> bizarre um, institution. But uh, there we go. I think Gabby will, will wait until he gets his degree before having another run at it. Yes. You think so, ain't you? Quite possibly. Um, Independiente. Let's talk about them. They've got a 1-1 draw away to Lanús. The big focus for both of those sides, of course, is the Copa Sudamericana. Independiente play their second leg uh, just after we finish recording. So you'll have to listen through to the end of this episode and I will give you the results. But that kicks off at nine. So that's in exactly one hour, in fact. Um, away to Olympia, having had a... One nil. One, one nil. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, remember. I keep saying it was one one in my head. I, I keep thinking it was one one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've beaten them one nil um, in the Libertadores de América last week. So now uh, that's the Estadio rather than the Copa, just in case you get it confused. Um, and they will now play in, I presume, the Defensores del Chaco in about an hour's time. Um, the game against Lanús wasn't amazingly good was it for Sunday night but as we say the away fans were there atmosphere sounded decent but did anybody catch it apart from me no, or I just talking to about you go for it lovely well um, we had or rather Lanus had the benefit of an own goal just before half time from um, well it was given according to by the, the football paradox commentators and most other people at the time to Gonzalo Di Renzo who's a 19-year-old forward for Lanús, who's already scored one for them in the Copa Sudamericana. Uh, and then the replay showed that actually it pretty much hit Nicolás Figal in the face and went in, so it was no goal for Figal. But it was um, cancelled out by Juan Martín Luz, I think it's Juan Martín Luz, yeah, Juan Martín. Um, in the second half. And that was about all there was to say, really. The second half was a bit better than the first, but... This, this match, is, I think, is perhaps even more important, uh, of course, but... Lanús can get the Libertadores playoff still, prior Libertadores playoff, and the Bende is, is there still, still there, but 
uh, matches that don't uh, get any importance in, in, in terms of the uh, fight for the title. I think it's more important this thing of the away supporters, how they did, if, if it was everything was okay. Anyway, we, we have been saying here that uh, that is not pa uh, the problem of the violence is not has not to do with the if, if there are, are uh, supports from the mm. away team or not. But it's good to see whether it goes right or not, if it is everything is okay or not with that. Yeah, I think so far we've had what, four, or four or five games that have had away fans and there's been no trouble. There's, I mean, there shouldn't be trouble because it's not yeah. the away fans that cause, cause problems, as Andres said. Mm. Three, I think, three. isn't it? My, my huge Possibly problem three. with the ban on away fans right from the start was that the violence that led to that uh, measure was uh, internal uh, conflicts between the uh, Barra Bravas. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the ban on away fans really didn't get at the root of the problem. No. The problem was the dispute for power between different gangs within Barra Bravas. That was the main issue, and that largely remains unresolved. It was people in the homestand killing other people in the homestand, or uh, normally it wasn't actually in the stand, it was away yeah. from the stadium in the in, middle of the week. In fact, today I heard the news that Kilmes, Barababa, Kilmes is good, very good in, in, in the tournament, or well, with, with Saba as a coach, he's having a very good streak, mm. and anyway, the Barababa said, there is money or there are bullets. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, you see there are ways, which is the problem, not, uh, of course, away supporters. I hope there are at least one or two people listening to this who are the people who sometimes tweet me saying, oh, but the stadiums wouldn't be the same without them and you just have to accept them because you're never going to get rid of them and all that kind of crap. Um, I know we go on about this a lot. Mm. Oh, that was very close to a goal. I know we go on about this a lot and had the pod, uh, but that's because it is a major issue. So we're going to keep <laughs> yeah. mentioning it, at least yeah. a little bit, on a weekly basis. There was an incident of violence, not in the league proper, but in the futsal. Ah, yes. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Which Chacarita is Chicago. Exactly. No, was it Nueva Chicago players that got attacked yeah, by, Chacarita by the Chacarita fans? Chacarita fans, yeah. Exactly. Racing, we should say. So that's a bit of, uh, I guess, the inter-Barra Brava violence is still an issue, but we think here, I think, if I can speak for all of us, that it, it's the lesser of the two issues. I would say that you have uh, read the mood admirably on <laughs> Um, and another, it kind of ties in with this, I suppose, the, the, the authorities' uh, lack of being able to take anything seriously and able to come up with a more sensible solution for things, um, is that, do you remember in May, when um, Emmanuel Ortega's death at, uh, after crashing into a, a perimeter wall? Yeah, in, in San Martín Well remembered. Um, and a couple of days after that, the AFA announced that they were going to be insisting on cloaking all of the perimeter walls of all of the lower division stadia in Argentina in some kind of magical foamy substance that mad people just think players so. would just bounce yeah. off. They actually have put them in San Martin. I saw them the other day. Yeah. I saw them on TV. Some lovely cushions all around the that it didn't help Giuliotti. They they haven't put them in, in many other stadiums no. because um in yesterday, Milan, I believe. Uh, Sebastian Gigliotti, who is Emmanuel Gigliotti's brother, um, collided Sorry, yeah, you're right. It was on Monday, wasn't it? Not yesterday. Um, collided with, um, with 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 another wall in another match. He plays for <coughs> Midland. 
Ah, oh, well remembered. So it was in Midland against and I'll tr- you'll just remind me, Dom. Oh, don't know. Oh, okay. It's all nice for me. Third division. Give me a break. Is that right? Third division? Uh, yeah. Premier C, yeah. So, fourth division. Fourth, fourth division. Um, he, he collided uh, with a wall. He's okay. He's okay. Ah, that sounds familiar, yeah. Um, he's, in, he's in hospital, but he's okay, fortunately. Um, and there was a report on Canchashena, which is the La Nación sports website today, saying that since um, Ortega's death, Five other, uh, so Gigliotti is the fifth player to collide with the wall. Mm. In yeah, it happens. The, what is it, May, June, July, August, September, so yeah, four months almost exactly, um, when supposedly the Afro were going to do things to uh, to stop this. He's the fifth player to be hospitalised as a result of this kind of thing. So that gives you another idea of just how seriously the authorities actually take this stuff beyond just saying nice things about it. Um, <laughs> going back to our big five roundup from the weekend, I don't think there's really much to say about River because. It was a reserve tie away to Crucero del Norte. I suppose we could say a little bit about Crucero del Norte moving the match to Chaco, mm. uh, but we already said that earlier in the year. So Independiente will be the same. But uh, it, it, now even the players saying that they are already, uh, of course, relegated and it's. When I was preparing my previews um, for this coming week, Crucero del Norte have got one player. I can't remember who it is. Let me just see whether I can find him. Um, who is doubtful for the match this weekend. They're playing Boca Juniors this weekend. And by the way, if they lose that match, they will be relegated, mathematically. Um, He's doubtful for the match this weekend because media reports are uh, conflicting as to whether or not he's been sacked by the club. You remember we said, listeners, in the last few weeks that Crucero del Norte have been letting players go at a rate of... um, about one or two a week in order to cut the costs, <laughs> which is obviously going to help the morale of the players who were left behind immensely, isn't it? As well as all the ridiculous shit about not giving the players proper coaches to travel to away games on and so on. Um, How can Crucero then not give them proper coaches? Well, exactly. It's a coach company! <laughs> Nicolas Olmedo has, has recovered from his injury, but um, Ole ran a report yesterday saying that, as far as we can verify, because of course Ole have always. Uh, Famously covered Crucero del Norte in fantastic And they're known for rigorous <laughs> reporting. That's so very thorough reports. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they've said that they've uh, their Misiones correspondent has, has made a few <laughs> questions and doesn't think that Nicolas Olmedo has been sacked by the club <laughs> yet. So he may or may not actually have they, won, have they won a single game? Yes. Beat Chicago. Yeah, yeah, they have. They've Just won. won. A, they've won a couple, in fact. A couple of games. They started off fairly strong at home. I will get their pro- their actual. Um, once I find them on here, there they are. Um, they began the year with without a win for a while, but they've won three. They've beaten Tempele, Defensi Justicia, and San Martin all at home. They have played. I think it's now thirteen away games, and they've lost all thirteen of them. Yeah. And in the last ten matches, home or away. They picked up one point, <coughs> and that was uh, when they were 3-0 up to Huracan with 15 minutes to go, and they ended up drawing 3-3 in their own stadium. So, what uh, I haven't, honest to God, I haven't been following Crucero del Norte this season. We're not going to I mean, him. usually I do. Usually yeah, yeah. I, I hit him up every once in a while, but um, this this year I haven't. What do you think of uh, Arroa Barrena's comments today, or actually I think it was after the match on Sunday. He said that Crucero del Norte should have more points than they do. I find that very difficult to... Perhaps less points would be very tough. <laughs> true, true. 
perhaps from the first half of the season they, they'd put in one or two performances that were slightly better than they merited. They put in a very surprisingly good performance away to San Lorenzo yes. in the 20th round when they lost 2-1. And for a while, it looked like they were going to get a point away from home. And they also got a, like an 88th minute equaliser against Team Nacia La Plata um, in the 18th round, also away from Florence home. And then conceded an 89th minute They winner. don't look after the, 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 the advantages, uh, even that, because against Redan, they were, was, they were winning 3 0. They exactly, yeah. finally drew 3 3. Then against Lorenzo, they started winning, right? Uh, yeah, yeah they, they did, yeah, they took the lead, you're right. And against uh, Lanús, they started winning also, and I, they finished losing 3-1. Yeah, but I, let's just I, would, imagine I would say that Avrob Arena, to me, that sounds like he's A, being slightly diplomatic, and B, he's trying to Motivate. get his players to focus, he, he's trying to say to them, presumably yes. hoping that they've been watching Crucero and El Norte as much as you have, Fran, <laughs> um, and that they might actually believe him, because obviously... If Boca were to slip up against them, that would be tremendously embarrassing for Boca. It would be hilarious for everybody else, and it would blow the title race wide open. Um, but let's just uh, say they've lost every single away match. Every away match, okay. yeah. Well, let's just imagine for a second, though, that they hadn't done quite as shit, and they came into the last five matches of the season with chances of staying up. They got four grandes in a row. River, Boca, Independiente, or Racing. Mm. I think they'd be seriously pissed off. <laughs> Yeah, it's great scheduling. Really yeah, great scheduling. particularly because those four are all playing well. Unlike yeah. in, um, in some years, years yeah. even since Underpod has been going, where the the grandes haven't been so grande. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least actually, one of the go. best games of the season they had uh, away from home was against San Lorenzo. Yeah, because they, they almost they, got a point. They picked themselves <laughs> up and, and they, they rose to the occasion. Of course, you know, I think that up until now is probably the biggest game in their history in many ways given yeah. that they were playing Rivers Reserves last week and it was at home and equally on Sunday when they go out in La Bombonera so that's definitely that's going to be, be the, the biggest game most of those players oh, are yeah. play yeah, you know. well Omeo was in Gore Cruz he's yeah. oh no yeah sure I mean there are players yeah. who are more he's not there anymore but yeah. with a Bombonera it's going to be full to the brim it's going to be an, an incredible atmosphere yeah that's going to be a and game that there may but, uh, be Crucero, sorry. There may be Crucero not the players that ask Tevez for the his teacher. All of them or whatever. No, sure. yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Speaking of um, La League icons that have uh, seen a wish come true this week, there's another one in Chicago. Oh, you're quite right. Yes, yeah. because Christian Gomez has Gomito finally, Gomez. finally made his first appearance in the thirty-team uh, championship. It's what we were all waiting for. Uh, he is a Nova Chicago legend. He is 42 years old, is it? Or no, 40, 40 I think. 40. Yeah. Nice round number. Um, and he broke his... Uh, he had a fractured shin, didn't he? At the beginning I of the year. Or ankle so. or something. Um, it was something serious, yeah. yeah. And they thought he'd never come back, to be honest. Towards the 40. end of last year, and obviously if you do that and you're 39 years old, um, it's probably going to be a career-ender. But in his case... He's back in the team and he made an appearance for them off the subs bench, I think it was for the last 15 minutes or so, um, of Chicago's match, which I'm now desperately searching through this. It was a 3-1 win um, against Aldo Sibi, in which his teammates forgot that they were shit for um, a short while and uh, took a 2-0 lead yeah, in the first half, um, got pulled back to a penalty from Gaston Diaz early in the second half and then Alejandro Gagliardi. Uh, scored his second and Chicago's third to see it out 
um, with 10 men as well because Fernando La Fuente was sent off just before the penalty and uh, although Aldo Sibi finished it with 10 men their red card was very late on indeed Gomez played the last 6 minutes of that so yeah. congratulations to him if he's listening <laughs> we're very pleased for him um, I don't know if you saw on Football Permitido on Sunday they like did not. after the game or before they showed they like brought him together with a fan who tattooed like Gomez's whole face on his chest <laughs> as Chicago fans and I and I looked at it um, looked up on um, on Twitter Gomito Gomez tatuaje and he, he's by far the only he's by far from the only Chicago fan that has a tattoo of one of of Gomez's face on their body and he just turned around and goes no you're fucking crazy <laughs> there are people that are, they are unconscious of that the tattoo won't, mm. won't quit of that the skin is yeah. permanent <laughs> They're Chicago fans, which you want. You mostly think of Alan Partridge as well. But don't, don't. <laughs> there are two grandes who we have not yet mentioned, and those are the two who are very much involved in the title race. Uh, San Lorenzo de Almagro, who were held 1-1 by Tigre um, on Saturday evening. Tigre put in a very good performance indeed, which was not really any surprise to anyone who'd seen Tigre um, in previous weeks. But... Tigre's good run prior to that match was against teams nowhere near as good as San Lorenzo, so I was, um, I wouldn't say surprised, but I was impressed by, by the quality of their performance, and particularly of their equalising goal from Sebastián Rincón, which was fantastic team move. But, but there was something the in that match, especially involving San Lorenzo, that is good to, to, to say, because mm. uh, well, when Mariano was here, he, he said something about this, that... Sarans is not defensive, uh, and the, uh, in that uh, particular play, which uh, Rincon scored the equalizer, there was something which uh, uh, is, is happened something in this direction because uh, Emmanuel Mas couldn't get Rincon, couldn't clear the ball, and he was in, in, in Sarans at, uh, attack when. When he lost the lost the ball, or he he couldn't get the ball, and and by his side was the finally the goal that Rincon scored. Mm. So it's something to say, in particular because uh, uh, to mark that they aren't so defense so defensive as people say or or media say. Yeah, um, it opened up, however, then for Boca um, on the Sunday who were at home to Banfield and got a very impressive win, uh, 3-0, with goals from Gino Peruzzi very early on and then from Jonathan Caleri and Carlos Tevez in the second half um, to go four points, I think it is clear at the top now. Yeah, Boca move on to 58 points and San Lorenzo stuck on 54. Rosario Central are on 52. As we mentioned last week, Central still have to play both Boca and San Lorenzo. Um, but Fran... You must have been pretty pleased with Boca's performance on Sunday. Well, I think it's the the best uh, 90 minutes I've seen Boca play in quite a while. Banfield are a team that are up there in the in the top five, mm. correct? Six, perhaps. Six? Are they six? They're, they're, um, they're actually eighth, but they're on very, they they were very, very. I think they were 11 games unbeaten before. They hadn't they hadn't lost since their new manager has come in. Um, it was a difficult match to to go into. And uh, we've been seeing a chemistry between Caleri and uh, Tevez of late. That's that's something that's seemingly growing by by the match. And I can understand a Roberana 
being cautious in his uh, in his comments after the match about Crusader because it would be very easy for Boca to 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 get distracted and and lose sight of what they're they're going after because it's the first title that Boca would win in if four years. Mm-hmm. The first local title in four years, which in, is something unusual. In the league. In the league, they yeah. Won the, they won the Copa Argentina. They won the Copa Argentina in, in 2012. And the local, one of the uh, two uh, tournaments uh, domestically oh, in 2011. Apertura, I think it was, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, 2011. With and Simeone's Racing were second, but a distant second. Oh, sorry, no, that wasn't the season with the final. They also won one of the short championships and then lost the final to Newell's didn't they in, in the Inicial and Final no Newell's no era. it was Boca lost to Estudiantes in in I That's think right. it was 2007 I'm pretty sure it was 2007 it was the same year that we played AC Milan in the uh, in the final of the Club World Cup that I'm, I'm uh, thinking of the Inicial Final so what I'm getting at here is that no, Boca have been have had a lead in the in the in the league, uh, a seemingly comfortable lead in the league before, in on on a number of occasions, and and the people the uh, the teams behind them have caught up to them. So it's very important for for this run of form to be consolidated by Arroyo who for the first time since he's been at, at Boca, or at least for this tournament, he's gonna he's gonna. Put the same eleven players on the pitch that played against Banfield, so it's gonna be it's gonna be very uh, interesting to see if this run of form can can follow through until the end of the season. It's it's gonna be tricky, and and Roa Reina isn't someone who in his first two clubs used this rotation tactic. Mm-hmm. So he's reverting to his original style. Actually, let's just hope as a Boca fan, obviously. That uh, he he can consolidate this uh, this chemistry, especially between Tevez and Caleri. Yeah, and uh, before I continue on that point, I will just say that I was completely misremembering the winners of the short championships when there were finals for those brief two seasons. Uh, yeah, Boca didn't win any of them, so sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah. sorry for reminding you of that, and also sorry for uh, talking over you for a bit. Um, so the, could the championship? Go down to Central and Boca on the last day. Well, well, yeah, it could because if if we go back to this Estudiantes, uh, you know, unreal uh, title win, and I think it was two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Boca needed one point out of something ridiculous like the last four or three games. They only needed one point, and they lost every single match. So it went to, it went down to a final with Estudiantes, and they ended up losing it. So you know, it's it's uh, it's something that I'm sure every Boca fan has in the back of his mm-hmm. mind, and uh, and it's going to be very interesting, and you know, uh, nail biting to see if Boca can can keep up this form that they've seemingly found in the last few matches, and especially against Banfield, because I've I've insisted on this throughout the whole season. You know, Boca haven't been great. You know, they they've had. If I'm not mistaken, the they're the second team in terms of possession after River in the in the league. Uh, they have the highest goal difference, but the, in terms of fluidity and um, and and finding that that eleven from memory, Arabarena hasn't Arabarena sorry hasn't been very 
effective. It's been an irregular bulk aside in terms of form because the points are on on the table. It's just going to be a matter of seeing whether Tevez, because I think Tevez is more fundamental than Arroyo in these last four matches. He's he's completely turned around Boca in terms of uh, the, their spirits and their their desire to win. He's he's truly the leader of the team, and and I'm I'm sure that he's going to be able to contagiar. How do you say that? Yeah, yeah transmit that. Transmit that, that to the rest of the players. But even with Tevez playing the matches, I think that the other day was the. Perhaps you said that, but mo the most convincing victory. The whole season, in, right? Yeah, in terms yeah. of football, because uh, after before that, uh, Boca was winning, but well, it was said by everyone, but it was true that uh, in the terms the football wasn't quite there. Yeah, it was, it was no doubt two one wins yeah. against weaker sides. The they points were getting on the which should have been sent off, but anyway, it's. Since the Copa America, they have their results have gone. I won't read out the teams as well. I'll just read out the scores in order. 1-0, with Bocca's score first and the opponent's second. So 1-0, 2-1, 1-0, 3-4, 2-1, 2 0-1, 0-1, 1-0, which was the Super Classico away to River, and then 3-1, 3-0. Exactly. So clearly so. that uh, the Super Classico, I guess, as well, helps to, to gel the... Um, the, the, the players together and, and, and morale in terms of precise. morale that was crucial I certainly feared for for Boca's chances when we lost at home 1-0 to San Lorenzo the only club in Argentine football that has a higher uh, has more wins against Boca in, in, in terms of history uh, it's always been the, the bogey team for Boca that was that was certainly a blow in terms of morale and it was right before the match against River. It was it was certainly a time of uh, uncertainty, certainly uncertainty, a bit of a oxymoron. But <laughs> basically, things have turned around since that match, and the perfect example of that is the the goal difference in the game against uh, Banfield. Because as as Sam just covered, all the matches since the Copa America were were by one goal the wins yeah um, Boca we we might as well say it, have three three points this weekend coming because they are at home to Crucero del Norte I am not just saying this because I'm a real fan and hoping to jinx them although obviously that is true <laughs> um, but I think that we can say that if Crucero del Norte in their current form get a result in La Bombonera even if it's a draw it would go down as one of the biggest shocks certainly in the current century in the Argentine top flight. Which Some Boca, of this comes from the fact that there are very rare which teams Boca, that shit in the Argentine top flight because there aren't 30 sides in it. But aren't, Boca aren't that unused to big upsets at home. No, true. They Even lost this season, they've got 3-0 to Nocivi at home. They lost to Unión de Santa Fe at home. The, the, Boca is... It's, Boca's a team that that has those moments. It's, it's, it's something that doesn't seem to happen... To, to River Plate, for instance, they, they don't lose. Maybe they'll lose at home to a small club, mm. but they won't lose by a lot of goals. Yeah, and that, that's something that, that seems to happen. Like every six months, Boca loses by a bunch of goals 
to yeah. a small club that's in the first division for the first time. Yeah, if you see the games Boca have lost, I mean, Andalusia, Vélez, who have been dreadful this year, Union, who've been yeah. up and down, but that game was a bit strange to win. And then Sunderland, which is a bit more understandable. Yeah, but the but way yeah, it came about, first three Boca dominating the whole game and then a, a present, you know, two minutes from time. Yeah, it was a bit unusual as well. So, so the first three were very much just seemed to be a case of Boca sort of yeah. taking their eye off the ball somewhat. Um, the run-in for Boca is a tricky one as well. Away to Racing, at home to Tigre, and then away to Rosario Central. I'm going to re- just remind us of the others, uh, the other title challenges as well, who we're going to say are San Lorenzo and Central, although they're not the only sides with mathematical chances. Mathematically, it's still possible for both Racing and River to, to win the league as River? well. Mathematics. I'm just talking <laughs> yeah. in terms of the maths. It, in terms of maths, obviously it's not going to happen, um, particularly because River are going to be putting out reserve sides from now until they well either go out of the Sudamericana or, or the league finishes. Um, but those are the sides who can still win it because yeah, just Boca have 58. There are 12 games left to play, mm-hmm. but River have got the game in hand. River oh, still have to play defensively with DCA, so they've got 15 left to play and are currently 13 behind the leaders. Um, so Racing are nine behind and have 12 to play for so yeah the top five can still win it but if in effect the top three are the ones who are going to win it um, so Boca's running away to Racing after the Crusader and Nordic match last three games away to Racing um, at home to Tigre away to Rosario Central San Lorenzo ah this coming weekend at home to the Rosario Central <laughs> who they're two points ahead off, so by the end of that match, it could well be that Central are up in second. Boca are going to be hiding for a draw. Indeed. Away to Olimpo, who I think have lost once at home this year. They're not, you know, they're not winning all of their home games, but they're not easy to beat in Blanca at all. Um, at home to Tempele, and then away to Atletico de Rafaela. So San Lorenzo, you would say, the last two games... They're probably going to win. Rafael away is never, uh, never an easy fixture. No, it seems no, like no. a draw between San Lorenzo and Rosario Central and a Boca win would be a, a gap, a margin that would see Boca through. We if, never know. If obviously. that happens, then it, it would, would be a six-point lead. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. They'd be six clear of uh, San Lorenzo and they would go eight clear of Central with nine points to play for. Yeah. Um, Las Rolis, Rosario Central, Boca, right? Yeah. And then Rosario Central's running now is this weekend away to San Lorenzo, obviously, then at home to Argentinos Juniors, away to Banfield, at home to Boca Juniors. I've been saying for a few weeks that at this stage I would not bet against Central because... They're good in their own hands, right? Almost. Indeed. And they're also probably playing the best football of any of the three Mm. candidates over the long period. Not so much the the weekend just gone, although the weekend just gone they got a very impressive 4-0 win at home to Gimnasia. Um, but they are let's see one, two, three, four, six games unbeaten. They've conceded two goals in that spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only win that the only one they didn't win was the draw against Newells in the Clásico, which almost seemed like an arranged draw in order for Rosario nil, nil. to be burned right? to the ground. Nil nil. <laughs> um, so I would, uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I, I'm not convinced that Central are favourites for the title, but I would not bet against them winning it. Marco Ruan has been incredible. Serbia as well, the number ten. Marco Ruben has got 18 goals. He is the leading goal scorer in the league by a margin of seven ahead of the joint top scorers. And this is a very good way of going into the but next little bit of Even Gareli, I think he said that uh, for him, Ruben is the best uh, player of the tournament so yeah. far. And, uh, Undoubtedly. 
because the joint second top scorers are Fernando Cavanaghi <laughs> well, who isn't here who has anymore. 11 goals of which 4 came against Stone Stone four four against Rafael, we have mentioned that but. and does anybody know the other one with 11 goals as well the Gole Cruz guy no who scored today I think no it's not no it's Claudio Biela Claudio Kilmes. Biela who in Godoy Cruz's uh, in Bel- uh, hell, which teams he played for Kilmes in Kilmes first 20 matches of the season Claudio Biela scored 3 goals Ooh. and in the 9 matches <coughs> since they so I'm sorry not in the 18 in the 9 matches um, since Claudio Bibas took charge of Kilmes that's Saba. wrong isn't it Facundo Saba took charge of Kilmes he has scored Eight horrible, in horrible games. Um, Dan is uh, speaking very vehemently against him because he is an ex-Racing player who and failed. Leader, he didn't quite manage eight in nine goals. No, he scored once, it? I think. Once in a whole season. Indeed. So um, that was former, the Biela of the first Kilimanjaro spell, maybe. Um, former Liga de Quito as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he was top scorer in Quito. And one South Americana. One that's already kind of with him. And he, he's um, a horrible person. He's, he's, <laughs> I only he's wish been the worst. Press, he's been in the press praising uh, Facundo Sava's management to the rafters since we last recorded. He says that when, when we have a team who go out and attack in the way that we're doing, it's only going to help the strikers. And um, he's got a point because Sava, as we said last week, has turned Kilmes around completely. It's a remarkable transformation. When was his last managing experience? He was with he was in Union Chile. A couple of months ago, and from what I heard, did really, really badly. Because when he was um, appointed as Kilmes manager, I got a couple of tweets from people based in Chile saying that's not going to work out well at all. Uh, Well, Carlos Bielsi goes uh, out to Roma when he had won everything at Boca and also was. Yeah, and at Atletico as well. And Atletico de Madrid. other results from the weekend that were noteworthy we said that we were going to mention Union's 3-2 victory against Atletico de Rafaela uh, principally because uh, Atletico had the 2-0 lead at half time um, and Union had Diego Michar sent off three minutes into the second half I think it was so it wasn't looking good for them at that point and then in the last quarter of the match with 22 minutes to go um, they scored three goals that was with Adrian Bastia playing in goal, I think, right? What happened there, Daniel, was that uh, Carlos Di Giorgio, the Atletico de Rafaela goalkeeper, brought down, I think it was Claudio Riano, um, inside the box and was sent off. But this is with the score at 2-2 with 10 minutes to go. Um, and the only option, because I think Rafaela had already used their three subs by that point. Yes. No, Di Giorgio was sent off in the 90th minute. In the 90th minute. Oh, right, yes, of course he was. Sorry, sir. Yeah, so, ah, of course, sorry, uh, Union had already scored a penalty to make it 3-2 by that point. Um, and then in the 90th minute, or the 90, in the 94th minute, in fact, Di Giorgi was sent off, and Atletico had already used up their three substitutions, so Adrian Bastia had to go in goal. The uh, Racing legend and uh, all-round lovely person. He's a star. He's brilliant. Yeah, okay. Um, no hair, but he's... He's got a little bit. He's got a lot of hair. He's not all in the right place. Um, but he he had to go in goal, and he saved uh, Juan Rivas. I think it must have been Juan Rivas, wasn't it? Because he scored the first penalty. Rianos. Oh, he's right. Oh, you're quite right. Yes, yeah, he says it there. He saved Rianos' penalty. Um, he then, after the match, said that he'd never put a pair of goalkeeping gloves on before in his life. He'd never even got in goal in a kickabout as a kid. Uh, so, if I were him, I would just from now on just refuse to ever go in goal again. 
Because yeah, because his, his entire goalkeeping career is already far more impressive in terms of just percentages of good things done to things attempted um, than his entire midfield career, certainly. Isn't nah, it? he's had a great career. Who was the racing yeah. player midfielder, I think? Pelletieri. Pelletieri. Yeah, he did the same that penalty. Yeah. 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 When, um, what, where is he now? Pelletieri is... Or is he... Tigre. In Tigre. Yes, Tigre. He doesn't play much, does he? I don't think so. Very on that note, we're going to go away and refill our glasses now. Uh, the half-time score in Quito is Liga de Quito nil, River Plate nil, which means that River are 45 minutes away from the quarter-final. Yeah. Yeah, They'll the be going there battered and bruised, but they're on the way as things said. Yes, indeed. We've had a few more people going down hurt um, <laughs> since we started recording. Um, but uh, we will be back after this short musical interlude with refilled glasses and to talk about... I don't know, we're going to answer some listeners' questions and possibly talk a bit more crap, so don't go anywhere. for our post-break discussion um, we will begin with Jonathan Caleri who I have just been informed is definitely moving to Arsenal <laughs> um, or perhaps not definitely or indeed even possibly but has apparently been linked in the English press um, with Arsenal de Londres uh, today he would be if I'm not mistaken Arsenal's first ever Argentine player no they've got a goal and Nelson Vivas Nelson Vivas yeah. second and they've, they've got that the Kid, the goalkeeper. Yeah, kid, I don't know like if he ever plays keeper in the league. Yeah. I can't remember. His no, name. I think he's gone. But other than that, yes, he might well be. Yeah. So second outfield Argentine player. They were linked uh, a few years back with Ricky Alvarez, <laughs> mm. who is now clubless. Yes. He is training with Vélez because he's a dickhead, <laughs> and nobody wants it outside Argentina. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, from the highlights I saw when he moved to Europe, he had he has some real talent. Oh, he's got talent. He just doesn't got it. And in I, between the years. And I also heard he's well heard. I I saw that he's very slow. Mm. He's a very slow player, and in terms of uh, form, he's very irregular. Yeah. And this yeah, work with Belgian players, but twenty years up to now, specifically. Sorry to interrupt, Andres, okay. but uh, specifically about Caleri. Arsenal, or whoever in Europe end up signing him, because he's presumably going to be going to Europe at some point in the not-too-distant future anyway, um, are going to get what kind of player, would you say, Fran? You've been watching more of him than any of us. Well, I was just telling Andres during the break that I like him. He's a, he's a good player. He, he holds the ball up front very well. He gets those long passes from El Diaz that he, he you know, he, he manages very well up front, uh, you know, holding the ball up front and giving it off to, to whether it's Tevez or Palacios. And he, he does have a good uh, goal uh, rate. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. But I definitely don't think it's what Arsenal need, especially considering their current situation. I think they need someone with uh, more of an established track record 
especially in Europe. He's he's definitely a good player, but I I don't see him as a uh, I I don't see him playing for Argentina, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a, a an outstanding number nine. We, I should say Italian that he is only twenty two. Right? He must have an EU passport if there's a if Arsenal are looking at him. Again then he, he probably has yeah. or is working on an yeah. EU citizenship. I was to say, if any club's got 20 million euros lying around, they'd be better off going for Bo. Definitely. <laughs> See, I think Bo, <laughs> I think Bo is a better player. Yeah. I think Caleri is, is, I don't want to say average, because he is very good for Argentine football, but he was linked with Palermo during the last transfer season, and that's more of a a likely destination, at least for a, a first experience in in Europe. You know, he needs that transition. He definitely doesn't want to go, but in my opinion. Both has more experience, and apart from that, I think he's more uh, playable. I mean, I think I, I he, he can associate with other, another uh, teammates, and Carrera is more that go go go, and then the other day was marvelous how he passed the ball to Tevez, score uh, uh, that kind of job. Uh, is he very good for that? To have a lot of space and run and, and cover the ball and then or finish him, finish the, the play or pass the ball to... And Bo has more uh, like... Maneuverability. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Is we spoke about this a little at, um, at Friday's Handapod meeting. With, I remember we were with Seba, with Federico, Boca fan, with Mariano. We saying this kind of thing about how... Um, how Boca and River players, uh, they kind of have this plus just for being Boca and River players. You say maybe if Caleri was in Independiente or Estudiantes or even Racing, uh, you wouldn't be linking him with Arsenal or kind of top level teams. And certainly, you know, I haven't seen what kind of transfer fees are being, are being bandied around, but you'd say it's a little bit less. I don't know about that. Boca are the only clubs who sell to big European clubs. No, but every player that goes from Boca and River, look, you can add a, a few million euros on the price tag. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. It's definitely a, a bigger window than any other Argentine club. Hmm. You think? And also, they're more economically powerful than yeah. any other Argentine club, and to a certain extent, a, a price tag is... Um, is determined as much as how good a player is and what club they're at by by whether the club who they're currently at can afford to turn the offer down or not. Yeah. So for River at present, for instance, who are, by Argentine terms, they're practically solvent, which is really? you know here's uh, something interesting. A, a very strong uh, in comparison with the rest of the league, they could afford to get nine and a half million was it euros or pounds off Everton for Funes Mori. <laughs> they very well to get that. Pretty much no other club in Argentina could have done that. Not necessarily because he wouldn't have looked as good or it wasn't as much of a window but because River were the only club in a position to turn down the offer of whatever it was of 5 million initially and then it went up to 6.5 and, and then it became apparent that Funes Mori had this 50% of the transfer fee clause in the contract so Everton decided to pay that and, and thus the price got pushed up It's simply quite uh, inexplicable how English clubs buy these players for important sums of money and then just leave them on the bench Inexplicable? Inexplicable isn't it? Because have you heard about the new TV deal? They got far more money than cents. English clubs. An, an, av- an average earning Premier League club, as from particularly next season when the new international Premier League TV deal kicks in, 
basically the the sort of 17 Premier League clubs who are in the Premier League this season and then we're going to stay up into next season are going to be 17 of the 25 or so richest clubs in the world it, it's it's that era the kind of level of, of so, dominance that you talk about year on year in terms of the accounting because so it's just the a TV matter, deal is just enormous it's just a matter of filling up the squad numbers with, with decent good players well in part yeah and and I actually wrote something on Funef Mori when the transfer went through for Everton in which I made the point that uh, it's precisely the, tra- the kind of transfer that Porto or Benfica might have made five years ago. They'd have been buying Funef Mori, they'd have been taking a, a bit of a gamble for a similar euro price and saying, okay, if he turns no, out to be really, really, really good. Million. Four million. Oh, sure. But, but if he turns out to be really good in a few years' time, they're going to sell him on for add a zero to whatever the end and make a huge profit. And from now on, I think this season, the next transfer window, probably next summer as well, you're going to be seeing. Um, I offended at least one Everton fan before by saying mid-table and lower mid-table, but I, I, I'm not sure he actually heard what I was really saying exa- uh, correctly. I'm not necessarily saying that Everton are going to finish in the bottom half, but you're going to be seeing Premier League clubs who are beyond the title challenges and the Premier League clubs in the rest of the league making that kind of deal, in my opinion. And it would not surprise me if Argentina turns out to be quite a um, popular shopping destination for them, given the economic situation in England and also the economic situation yeah. here because it puts them at opposite ends of the table so we've got to get into this and start earning commissions that would be wonderful what's, what's interesting here is that I only just saw these uh, headlines in the last few days With I think it was the Daily Mail the one that, that drew my attention but as far back as December 26th 2014 the, the Metro uh, the freely distributed uh, a newspaper in, in England said that Arsenal was closely monitoring Argentine winger Jonathan Caleri. In March, it came up again in on in Metro, and now what are we in? September, it's coming up again. I'm not sure who Metro's sources are there, but um, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. We'll see. We shall see. Um, the other theme that we have, and it fits in with a listener's question. Uh, was that we've had by email uh, from Toby Millard but we will mention it first of all is the AFA elections because we now have a confirmed list of the candidates for the Argentine Football Association elections and they are a huge list it's a double the the list of the last 40 years which is (laughs) 30 years Yes. <laughs> it's a big step. Yes, do we have time to to say the, the entire number list. of candidates? Because yeah. mm. there are only two. There are Segura and Tino. It was some one hundred percent longer list than any other Argentine Football Association election since nineteen ninety. Well, I think it's nineteen ninety. I, have a, the, I saw somebody yeah. tweeting that twenty five years ago there was one other bloke who ran against Grandona and he got one vote. Yes. And Liga de Quito Ki- just Ki- scored, by the way, 53 minutes in. So this could be a nervous end to the podcast. Indeed. But, so it's just Segura against Tinelli. Mm-hmm. Which is the lesser of the two evils? <sighs> what a question. What That's a question. what I've been asking myself since the news. I, can't, I don't have um, an answer. Um, both have massive negatives against them. But uh, enormous negatives. And few positives. Um. <laughs> give us some of the uh, give us some of the negatives from from Segura's. I've actually yeah, um, today I've been working on on an article about this, which will be going in a Mexican website. Since I assume they don't know anything about Argentine football, Segura is 
um, what was the phrase I used so far? Mapapista que el Papa, saying he's um, he's a Grandonite who's you know trying to um, trying to keep the whole Grandona system, the secret deals, the the complete lack of transparency and everything we've come to know and love about the AFA. He'd like to keep that in place uh, with his um, right-hand man, Claudio Chiquitapia, who is Hugo Moshano's either father-in-law or son-in-law. I believe father-in-law. Okay. Yes. How old is he in comparison with Moshano? That should give us an idea. I'm sure he's about the same age. 16? No, <laughs> not. 65. Case, yeah, let's go with father in Let's go with... But he's not far off the same age. Like, I think Uwe Mashana must have a, a young trophy wife there. Like, he must be close to 70. Yeah, not far off. So, yeah. So Uwe is basically going to represent the same AFA that we've seen over, over the last decades. Um, very, very little going on in... You know, out front, in front of the cameras, all these dodgy deals carrying on. With Tinelli, Tinelli is a rather shallow person, to to put it lightly. That's at least the the image he puts across. His his background's all in TV and not particularly highbrow TV at that. Um, he's a football fan, obviously. You can see he loves the game, but I don't know how much he really gives a damn outside San Lorenzo, and certainly. Outside of the Primera, there's kind of this perception that if Tinelli should take over, then the the lower leagues can basically go whistle. Um, but you think it would lead at least to you know a better um, commercial exploitation of Argentine football, whether that means a return to um, to pay TV that would remain to be seen. Obviously, that has big political implications as well as we're coming up to the elections. Um, so yeah, it's a choice between the the evil you know or or the evil that's that we don't know. At and the sorry, Don. No, no, that's a good place to stop. So, having given us an idea of the negatives, yeah, what would the positives be apart from the the potentially um, uh, the potential increase of, of of money coming into the game if Tinelli were president through presumably commercial ventures, which might or might not be seen as, as positive, really. But what would the positives be from Segura? With Segura, that not much would change, and there definitely wouldn't be an outright. But what would the war positives in... be from Segura? <laughs> he, there wouldn't be an outright war in Argentine football, and with all sorts of breakaways and disputes. Okay. Everything kind of like keep chugging along. I think the the only thing we have for sure with Segura as a joke uh, is that uh, Fútbol para todos will be free. We we continue to be uh, free for for all. Well, not I think in the provinces there are people that pay for cable, and that means they pay for watching football. But mm. in general, it will continue like this, and. I don't, sh- I don't, I'm not so sure if Tinelli will continue with this scheme because uh, he wants the AFA TV to 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 be released and, and a lot of products that will, of course, uh, need the inc- uh, big income and, and by that I think he could make make full parados not free anymore and, and to make it uh, profitable perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fate of football para todos is a particularly interesting one. 
because it was also going to depend on the other elections that are happening um, this month, I'm going to say, because by the time this podcast goes online, it will be this month. Um, the the actual Argentine presidential elections as opposed to the AFA presidential mm-hmm. elections. And I believe, um, I believe the AFA Congress is on the 22nd of October, around that time. Yeah. And, and the elections are the 25th of October. The only way that Football Baratos, which is free football, can go on, can subsist, is with more private uh, sponsorship deals. Yes. Because the only one going on right now is Iveco, right? The truck company. Every Argentine's favorite truck. Yes. So I mean, it's it it loses money, and it's I think it's the only case of free football in the world, if if I'm not mistaken. That See, I'm not sure that that's necessarily a bad thing. But no, I'm not saying it's right a bad thing. It's an anomaly, it, and, and it should, it how should, workable is it when the state are plowing so much money into they, it? They should find a way to make it less deficient. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we're talking about attracting private advertising, that's a piece of piss, right? Like, every company's going to want to Right, the question is why they don't do it yet. Yeah. Because at the moment, it's more viable for the government to use it not financially viable but politically viable to right. use it for um, to use that for um, campaign ads and for to government those, announcements yeah those uh, seconds of advertising for their own exactly yeah. no completely the way that it was put when it was launched was that Nestor Kirchner said it's not about making money it's not about uh, uh, commercialism or it's not even about football it's about politics yeah, and of course. Pretty much what it's been proved to be, really. That's in incredibly the blunt. I didn't know about eight years or something. I didn't know that uh, that uh, quote. Yeah, mm. it was one of the ones that uh, the lady from the Madres, I think it is, the Plaza de Mayo, um, read out a couple of years ago when when they were discussing the the renewal of the contract a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, and she was uh, quite vocal about it. Yeah, well, uh, it's clearly a bit of a weird intervention in itself, but it's clearly about politics, and I'm sure this is going to be something that <laughs> it's going to be studied in in like the next three decades of how it came about, you know, because mm. I really don't know of another situation in any other country that football was taken off private hands, taken away from them, and put into the state's hands and used for essentially for for political advertisement. Mm-hmm. And, and and having it lose so much money. It's it it's it's not to say I'm not saying that it should be entirely private or it shouldn't be entirely in state hands. I'm saying that there's certainly a way to make it more uh, to make it lose less money. Yeah. I think we can yeah, it's never um, it's never gonna make money, I think we all know. Because unless you make people pay for it, it's very hard for it to make money. Penalty to Liga de Quito. But yeah, like a little bit more of a mix of, of private advertising, it's almost certainly going to happen. Whoever gets into uh, yeah. to the it's Casa Rosa, it's hard to see a, a scenario where any of the three candidates takes it f- away from state hands because it's so largely. I, I I wouldn't say it's embedded already in in people's consciousness as a right, but certainly they've gotten used to it. Yeah, know, to, yeah, yeah, to being able to sit at, at home and, and watch their team yeah. every single weekend. It have the a po- big political, political cost, cost yeah. exactly. Mm. So yeah, indeed. Um, this leads us into Toby Millard's question via email, 
we've actually answered the first of his questions already. He says, what do you think of the main strengths and weaknesses that each man would bring to the role of AFA president? He then asks, and on current evidence, who looks the most likely to win the race? <sighs> to which the only possible answer, I think, is we don't have a bloody clue because no. it's not being voted for publicly. We, we do know that Boca won't uh, give the, his vote to, to Tinelli. Because yeah, we know who a few pl- a few of the yeah. big clubs won't vote for and will vote for. So Boca aren't going to vote for Tinelli. Uh, Racing are going to go with Segura, right? Done. He's missed it. Oh, good. Racing is kind of unclear because Blanco up to today, it was rumored that he might, you know, be the be the third way. This kind of like candidate in the middle of the two, as mm. well as uh, the Lanús president Maron. But in the end, he. Both of them decided not to. So I'd say those kind of votes are up, are up for grabs. What you're going to see more than more than anything is a lot of the Primera clubs, except for Boca, um, going with Tinelli, and Seguro is going to be going to be strongest uh, further down the pyramid. That's where he's got his power base. It's a lot of interesting uh, dynamics going on behind Tinelli's uh, candidacy because he's business partners with potentially or arguably the the government's main business partner which is Cristóbal López at least yeah. in terms of media outlets and um, and Tinelli himself works at the uh, the largest opposition TV station in the country so there's a lot of Divided interests be- mm-hmm. behind Tinelli's candidacy. Mm. It's a quiet man. Yes. Yeah. Toby also asks, uh, asks, says, congratulations on reaching and exceeding 200 episodes. Thank you very much, Toby. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, indeed, thank you to everybody who tweeted in similarly uh, over the last week. Uh, and now on to the Twitter questions. We've had a few. And I'm just waiting for them to load and then scrolling down. A couple of hundred. They are, no, uh, the day that we get that, we'll, I think, possibly just not bother to read any of them out. Um, we have had, let's see, where's the first one? Harry Laws asks, could we please have an explanation of what's happening with the Primera next season? It is still all Greek to me. I did warn Harry via the hand of pod Twitter that this explanation is essentially going to be the same one that we gave two weeks ago on episode 199, but here we go. Next year... The first half of the year is going to be another transition, um, as was the second half of last year, back into a European-style season. So the idea is that there's going to be a 2016-17 season, uh, August to May. To get there, from the, the first half of next year is going to be a, a transitional championship, which will be, we think at the moment, the, the best guesses are, two groups, 15 teams each, and the two groups will have the Clásicos separated so River and Boca will be in separate groups Racing and Independiente will be in separate groups Huracan and San Lorenzo will be in separate groups and so on Um, everybody will play everybody else in their group once and then everybody will play their Clásico rival in the other group once as well and the two teams who finish top of the two groups at the end of the campaign will go into playoffs Um, marvellous so terrible that's that and it is an awful structure they might play each other home in a way I guess because that's when they been the Bay Nacional but they didn't have 30 teams to do it with of course for the transitional thing um, so I'm assuming they're only going to play each other once um, 
so that, that that's the the basic way that it's going to work in the first half of, of last uh, of next year. The promedios, the points average system, will still be in existence. And at the end, at the moment, we think that in June next year, there's going to be one team relegated from the Primera. And one team, presumably then, coming up from the B Nacional. So we begin 2016-17, which will have uh, a similar structure, one assumes, to the current setup. Uh, and we will begin it with 30 teams. And presumably that's the season that, at the end of that season, they will start to relegate more teams than they promote so that we get down to around 20 or 22 teams by 2019 or 2020 I wouldn't count it that's what they've been saying anyway nightmare scenario uh, Roberto Rojas says when was the last time an Argentine team was considered the best in the world to this one I asked him do you mean club or national and he said both so the answer to the national side is well look at the current FIFA rankings (laughs) right now if you don't go along with the FIFA rankings for some reason, perhaps you think they're ridiculous and, and don't tell the truth. I mean, you know, that's entirely your option. But uh, if you don't, then I would guess... 2006? 2006 World Cup, the build-up to that, or possibly 2002. Certainly there were favourites for, for both of those prior to the tournament. After the 6-0 against Serbia, mm. I think yeah. it was consensus. Yeah. And in terms of clubs, I think it was Boca winning the... Against Real Madrid. Yes. Yeah. Um, and for the club, yeah, Boca Madrid. But I mean, no, yeah. It in depends. terms of how people around the world actually think of world depends, football, exactly. it's it depends who you're talking clubs. about. It depends if you're talking about people here or people in the rest of the world. Because how much yeah. resonance would that game against Madrid have? Probably yeah. never. In terms of the last time an Argentine club was considered the best in the world within Argentina, all the time. Yeah. Right after River won the Libertadores, <laughs> and before that, just after River won the Sudamericana, yeah. and before that, just after San Lorenzo won the Libertadores, and so on. Um, Argentines are not known for their. Uh, uh, no offense to either of the two who are here, but they're not known for for their uh, even-handed and, and cool-headed opinions of. No, stuff. it's it's all about perception, really. Like you could say at the same time, um, when would any European think? Ah, look at this Argentine club, it's got to be the best in the world. It doesn't happen because they don't see it. In those terms, I would guess that the last last time it was a realistic... Even in the 60s or 70s when Argentine teams were winning the Intercontinental Cup, they never say, ah, look, Racing are the best team in the world because they beat Celtic. If Dorianthus are the best team because they beat United, it was like, nah, this is because they're cheating dirty fuckers. My my conclusion is that in terms of perception at the in a global scale, never has there been a, a moment where Argent, an Argentine club was considered the best in the world. No. I think if we go back to the forties or fifties, possibly. But then you're talking about the forties or fifties in Europe. Knew what they were? Yeah, in England, who would have Even known Sanders. what No, no, no precisely. No, that's good. what I'm saying. Regardless, never mind perceptions, because back in the 40s and 50s, I don't think most people thought about football outside their own country at all. Mm-hmm. The last time that it might actually have been the case, regardless of perception, you, you know, very, very strong case for Argentine football in the 40s, because that's the golden era. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, more recently than that, you're getting into all kinds of debates. It's uh, very difficult, yeah. Very difficult. Kevin L. asks, is football betting legal in Argentina? Yeah, they've got spring oil there. Yeah, it's not very much done, but there is no yeah. l- uh, legal policies that uh, permit you to, perhaps, for example, 
Uh, there are not local, com local conventions in, in mm. with the exception of Spingol and Mil Jugadas, I think there is another, but it's not a established as a legal. No, there's no bookmakers. It's, it's not widely so. done, but it is legal. Yes. Uh, Lawrence Hart asks, hopefully not too late, did you get a definitive answer to the Defensio name question from last week? I did. As I have warned Lawrence already on Twitter, not a terribly interesting answer, and it's not really an answer. The answer is, and I'm quoting this from a Yahoo Answers um, uh, thread, nobody remembers why they chose the name, but it just stuck because people liked it. There you go. Brilliant. Oh. There we go. We know why it's the, the colours were chosen because of a bus company uh, local to Florencia Barrena. I was wondering if there'd be a the connection between Defensa Justicia, which is kind of like police, and then Alcon. You know, like Grupo Alcon is a, it's a police task force. It could be why they've got the nickname. It could be why they've got the nickname, potentially, I yeah, suppose. True. I apologise for that noise. It was my the spare batteries falling onto the uh, <laughs> table. I just dropped them. Um, the other question that we have from Lawrence was, when in Argentina, it struck me that Millwall's sister club in Argentina would be Doc Sud. There you go. Okay. No, Chacarita. Uh, he chacarita. says, who would the panel say Racing oh. and Defensa y Justicia's sister clubs would be in England? From a personal point of view, um, Defensa y Justicia would be my club, Gillingham. Oh, sorry. From a personal point of view, who would be my club, Gillingham's sister Ooh. team in Argentina? Well, potentially defensively was Dicia Lawrence, because you do support both of them after yeah, all. Yeah, why not? But, um, anyone want to throw any answers out there? I always thought Racing are more, more like Newcastle than anyone else. Why? Because they don't win much, but they've got just incredible uh, committed fans. Newcastle, and Peter's not here to attack us for this, but no offence meant to any Newcastle fans who are listening. That Newcastle don't have quite the um, historical record that Racing no. has. So is that what I, the... I did hear one friend once who, who compared Racing with Preston North End because they were huge back in the early years of the league. No, it's a little bit more recent Racing success, I think. No, but Racing's real big success was the seven in a row a hundred years ago, wasn't it? Levante, its first world champions. Yeah, sure. Perhaps Independiente and Manchester United because of the Red Devils. In terms of fans, you would say that Newcastle uh, draws the biggest parallel to Racing? Yeah, kind of this unquestioning loyalty, even though the team's not winning anything. And constant delusions. Of and constant delusions. <laughs> <laughs> no offence, Newcastle fans. Defensive Justicia? Christ. Crumbs. <laughs> they're a new team. A new team that have gone up the league pretty quick. When... when what, they're a new team? When were they founded? They're not a quite new team. They were founded in... Norwich because of the t-shirt. Yeah, the colours, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, they were founded in 1935, so they're not that new. I know, I'm thinking of it You're thinking of Arsenal. Or Crucero del Norte, or the other bus company too. Mm. Anyway, we shall move on from that one, because we don't really have an answer to it. I know, um, I think uh, Defensor Judicia only recently entered like the, the official pyramid. That's right. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. They've been going for a while, but they. That's right. Well, yeah. they have the same colours as Norwich. Yeah, Norwich, why not? <laughs> That's two votes for Norwich, so we shall go with that. Uh, Ursus Aptos <laughs> asks Is Riquel may go into Montelimar? It is the world capital of Nougat. I did ask him what on earth he meant by that. I don't wasn't understand what you just said. Particularly, um, he didn't elucidate that much. So, uh, yes. Yeah, sure, why not? Why not? And Sasha says, who did Gauchito Gil support? And then he clarifies, obviously Gauchito Gil was around before Argentine football, but is there a team who tried to claim him as their own? 
we probably need to explain to the vast majority of our <laughs> listeners who the bloody hell Gauchi Dokila was, don't we? Does still, somebody else want to do it? I still honestly don't really know who he is. He's a legend of yeah. Argentine, you know, yeah, ur- uh, rural areas. He's a mythical figure who is seen in some ways as a sort of... Um, I don't want to say Santeria because no, it only exists in Argentina, but a, a kind of figure who... He's almost a Robin, a Robin Guardian Hood kind of figure. A what? He's almost like a Robin Hood kind of figure. Yeah, precisely, yeah. And, and th- there was a movement very briefly, I think, at one point in Argentina to try and get him sainthood, which was widely opposed by people because if he becomes a saint, uh, people can't pray to him to make bad things happen <laughs> to their enemies. And that is traditionally what he is, is for. Mm. Uh, he is the patron saint if in, as much as I've just explained he's not actually a saint of road traffic accidents here so um, it's very frequent that you see red ribbons and stuff tied to cars or bits of cars uh, in order to give them luck on the road mm-hmm. and yes that should make you terrified of getting in a car with anybody if you come to Argentina the, the fact that drivers here just want good fortune rather than being able to drive properly but that's another story yeah. Um, and yeah he's this sort of folklore figure uh, is there a team we try to claim him as the road? I think so. His grave is in Chacarita, so I'm guessing the the Chacarita uh, Juniors. Is that right? Yeah, he's he's buried in Chacarita Cemetery. I honest to God didn't know he was a memorial person. There's a memorial in Chacarita Cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) Great memorial. Yeah, because I didn't think he was. I don't. I don't. I don't think he. Well, he must have been a real person, but I don't think we know his name. Based on a real. Yeah. So the answer to that's probably no. But then. Who, did one of you two tell me before that he was from Corrientes? He's yes, from Boca yeah, Unidos. Yes. So Boca Unidos, or Manichu perhaps, when before he just disappeared yeah. and then came back. So yeah. let's go with that. Let's go with Mandishu or, uh, or Boca Unidos, one of the two. And now, ladies and gents, there's only one thing left to do tonight, which is probably for the best because we've been recording for bloody ages. This is Mystic Sam's theme music, and the next thing that you hear are Mystic Sam's predictions for the weekend to come. This coming weekend, the matches are going to go like this. Belgrano are going to get a home win over Defensa y Justicia. And Quilmes will beat San Martín de San Juan. Both of those are on Friday night. Arsenal de Sarandí against Atlético de Rafaela is going to be an Arsenal victory. They've improved a bit recently. Although, one thing that we've not mentioned is that Arsenal forward Franco Homini has failed the doping test. So he's out for, I think it's uh, six matches or something. Essentially the rest of the season, anyway. And Brian uh, Fernandez can come back. Yes, and Brian Fernandez will be back from Racing's next match because his uh, doping test has um, been ruled as finished at last. Sarmiento versus Estudio in Argentina, anyway. It's not going to be an Argentina. Yeah, sort of. Basically, so. Racing putting in an injunction saying they were denying his right to work or something like that. Yeah. Basically, two things you can always get, like doping the, tests and some sort of injunction. Yeah, the, like the, the FIFA ban is... Midge is still going to be play in, in continental competition, but he's going to be back in the league at least. Yes. Um, anyway, back to the prediction. Sarmiento versus Estudiantes de la Plata is an Estudiantes win. Gimnasia de la Plata versus Olimpo is a draw and probably a pretty boring one. San Lorenzo versus Rosario Central. I'm going for a Central victory. Mm-hmm. Argentinos Juniors versus Tigre, I think is a Tigre win. Boca Juniors versus Crucero del Norte. I don't really need to read out what that's going to be. Godoy Cruz against Tempele is 
a, let's go for a draw. I've not actually finished writing that prediction yet. Independiente versus Riva Plate. I've also not yet finished writing, and that's going to be two reserve teams, quite possibly. I will go for a draw in that one as well. Uh, Newells versus Huracan is another draw. Venice Southfield versus Nueva Chicago. I think yeah, Chicago nice. can win that one. Union de Santa Fe versus Colón de Santa Fe is an Union victory, which would put them 27-26 up in the all-time head-to-head of that derby. And Banfield versus Racing, I think, is another draw. Sorry, Dan. Even with Racing's away fans, sir? Even with that. Oof. Aldo Civi against Lanús. I'm going for a Lanús victory. That's the last match of the weekend. Any particularly strong disagreements with any of those gents? I think you're underestimating Crucero del Norte. I think <laughs> As I say, I would love to be wrong, but I strongly suspect that Crucero del Norte are going to finish the year with a record of played 15, lost 15 away from home. Anyone else? Okay, okay with your, your previous. Yeah. Fantastic. Lovely stuff. Okay, there are 10 minutes to go in Quito, where River still lead Liga de Quito 2 1 on aggregate, but trail the 1 0 on the night. In the other match, Olimpia against Independiente is currently 0 0 after 23 and a half minutes. What was the first leg? The first leg was 1 0 0 to Independiente. Um, I will be back after the theme music to tell uh, listeners precisely what happened in, in all of tonight's Sudamericana action. For now, thank you very much for listening um, for this week. Thank you very much to our sponsors for providing the Fernet. That's the Argentina Independent, who are a fine source of English language news, current affairs, photo essays, cultural pieces and whatnot. You can read free of charge on argentinaindependent.com and follow on Twitter at Argentina Indy. That's Argentina I-N-D-Y. Thank you very much to them. And thank you um, and goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. I'm from Andres. Goodbye. I'm from Fran. Pleasure to be here for the first time. And from me, thank you and goodbye. I completely forgot to do this last night. The scores from last night's Copa Sudamericana uh, round of 16 second legs were uh, Liga de Quito 1, River Plate 0, which means that River went through 2 1 on aggregate. Nil-nil uh, between Independiente and Olimpia in Asunción. That means that Independiente go through 1-0 on aggregate. And Huracán um, surprised everybody by looking much better than they did in the first leg and getting a 3-0 win over Sport Recife, uh, which means that they got a 4-1 aggregate win. Uh, Independiente play Independiente Santa Fe in the quarterfinal in Colum- uh, of Independiente Santa Fe of Colombia. River are going to play either Libertad or Capuaquince, I think they're called, of Brazil, and Huracan are playing somebody else who I can't remember. Join us next week to find out who.